Welcome to 3 to Doomsday. I'm Rob. I'm Rob. And I'm Robin. And tonight we're looking at our top 10. No, 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 no. We do the top 5, not the top 10. Only only 5? Only 5. We can't count past that. That's okay. Sorry about that. And tonight we look at our top 5 Una stories so you don't have to. everyone and uh, as you heard from the introduction of this episode uh, those dulcet tones belong to someone who's appeared on the same number of episodes of 42 to doomsday as executive producers who have worked with Stephen Moffat <laughs> he's the olive oil to our vinegar the millie to our vanilla the white guardian to our black the sunny to our sure he's a man who touched David Tennant and the universe didn't explode he's friend of the podcast and nobody else's it's Rob Lloyd how are you sir oh I'm absolutely splendid that I'm back here with my two favourite Australian hard-ass fans. My ass is actually quite hard. You have been working out. I have have noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Have you been working out, Rob? I won't say what my wife says about my (laughs) ass. Let's just move along. (laughs) Kind of want to hear now. (laughs) <laughs> That's for a different podcast entirely. Yeah. So thank you for uh, coming on to uh, tonight's episode. This isn't a victory lap. It's more of a shambolic uh, drunken stagger towards the end. So thank you for coming on tonight's episode. I'm getting a bit emotional. You guys are, you know, you know, pulling up stumps and uh, calling it quits. And I'm, I'm here to sort of like do the my my last appearance with you guys. It's gone. Oh, it's all all the memories are flooding back. The like horror. The, the, <laughs> the horror, the, the horror, you know, the first time we talked about Pertwee. And That's right, that was ages ago, it's yeah. like 2014, I think. And moving on to talking about comedy and you chucked in a mix with... The Muppets. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. So many great memories. That's when I had enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back anyway. So how you been? Yeah, pretty good. Um, just getting back into the swing of reality after having uh, four months away from Australia, touring who me around uh, the States and Canada and the UK. So reality's uh, busting my ass at the moment. That's actually three countries that allow gay marriage and you've just come back to Australia and guess what happened? We have finally caught up with some of the more civilized nations on this planet. Well done, Australia. We're slowly being dragged out of the dark ages. Out of the archives. <laughs> out of the archives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's uh, tele snaps of certain types of people within, the, <laughs> within Australian society who are not coping well with us going digital and same-sex marriage, you know, positive. Bernardi. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so just getting back into the swing of, you know, living my normal life here in Australia again. and uh, But, yeah, you know, still uh, happy with... How I did with my four months away and planning for the next big adventure, whenever that may be. Very good. Uh, how you been, Rob? I've been good. Just trying to cope with the renewed heat uh, in Australia. Uh, working hard at work, you know, bringing in the small dollars. Uh, <laughs> trying to uh, trying to cope with this novel I have to write by. Well, sometime yesterday, apparently. So, anyway. Wow, you're doing the Douglas Adams of deadlines. I'll hand it in <laughs> a week after it's due. But if it worked for Douglas Adams, it could work for you, Rob. It could. Let's hope I don't have a heart attack in a gym. But since I don't go to the gym, I should be all right. So I'm a bit worried what now. A cruel, what a cruel <laughs> bastard I am. You are. Now, speaking of books, Rob, do you want to talk about what was announced this week? Yes. Uh, thank you, Mark. Through Candy Jar Books, I have a novella. Uh, it's about 45,000 words uh, called Travers and Wells. Uh, Candy Jar, which of, who, of course, uh, released the Lethbridge-Stewart range of books. Yes. 
uh, have uh, embarked on a spin-off series uh, featuring our favourite intrepid uh, Yeti hunter, Edward Travers, and also our, our favourite father of, uh, you know, uh, English science fiction, H.G. Wells, who appeared in Time That's Life. a very interesting pairing, Rob. How did that happen? Well, basically, uh, Glenn McCoy came on board and gave permission, as far as I'm aware. Um <laughs> So yes, so it is it is an interesting combination, but it promises to be an interesting series, actually an entertaining series, I think. Uh, the books that are coming out are based on or inspired by the works of H.G. Wells. So uh, anticipate um, more announcements uh, either maybe later in the year or early next year, certainly. But uh, my, my, my story, Travers and Wells, uh, kicks it off. Uh, it is, as you if you've seen the cover, inspired by... War of the Worlds. Nice. Um, so I, yeah, it's uh, when I was asked to do it. I mean, you know, I've, I've always been interested in writing, and uh, to get um, a, a foot in the door, so to speak, I, I, I leapt at it. And then I, when I realised that I was actually working with uh, one of the most foundational texts in, the, in English science fiction, I thought no one would have believed that in the latter days of 2017, <laughs> Rob would take a job with the most nichest combination. In, in sci-fi history. That's going to be awesome. Travers yeah, so. and H.G. Wells together in a War of the Worlds inspired novella. Holy smokes, yes. that's incredible. So yeah, after I uh, escaped the fetal position, I yeah, I got stuck stuck into it and um yeah, it uh, it 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 came nicely, came all nicely together. So very pleased with that and the cover's fantastic uh and uh the announcement uh Look, I can only urge people to, to get on board because, uh, as the announcement says, there's a limited run, 400 copies. Um, look, it's a rollicking adventure uh, inspired by War of the Worlds. So, um, yeah, look, I mean, I had a great time writing it and I hope everyone who, who purchased it uh, has a great time reading it because uh, it was a lot of fun to write and I think it'll be a lot of fun to read as well. Fantastic. Well done, sir. Thank you very much. So I can only urge you all to uh, Google... Travers and Wells Candy Jar, or just go to the Candy Jar Books website, and uh, you will be able to place your order. Remember, people, four hundred limited edition copies, so get in first. Are you signing them all? Uh, well, given that they're printing them in the UK, uh, I don't anticipate any boxes arriving on my hand. doorstep. So <laughs> he can Skype it over. <laughs> They'll just get somebody exactly. else to sign it and say, "Yeah, actually, it's from Rob." But. Uh, Oh, well done, well done. Uh, so that means you have Thank to you quit not. your job as the uh, publicity officer for Big Finish. Is that right now? To keep carry on with your novella work? Be nice. Be okay, nice. Okay. <laughs> now, speaking of Big Finish and Fanglaze, yesterday saw the release of the teaser clip for the Christmas special. Boys, have we uh, seen it? I know that you guys definitely have. <laughs> I've, 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 se- I've, I've seen the fire that is, has burnt a hole, much like the opening sequence of Bonanza, into Twitter because of uh, your two reactions. And what can I just say, with my final one, it is great to actually have some quality, passionate Doctor Who fans out there not afraid to say when they're not happy about something or when there's something a bit negative because at the moment so many people who are doing other podcasts or any type of print about Doctor Who fandom or stuff like that is becoming a bit you know smooth FM they're coming a bit nice for its nice sake because they just want to you know work their way as an angle as opposed to just 
not giving a shit and just being a fan because being a fan about Doctor Who or Star Trek or Star Wars or the DC world or the Marvel world what you what you enjoy doing is being able to talk about something in a positive light but also to talk about the things that shit you and not you know and not feel as if you're being you know ostracized or to feel as if that you're you know a negative Nancy so I love the fact that you guys can openly be critical about the show but not feel as if that you're betraying your fandom in any way shape or form that's what I love about you guys I show my love by expressing my hate <laughs> and uh, it wow. makes him stronger you're, 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 t- <laughs> you're talking about many of my relationships when I was in university right? Yeah. <laughs> well look you know when you're listening to us I suppose we're like monster trucks it's going everywhere things are going to get torn up where others you might be you know it's like a pleasant Sunday drive with the windows down the tops down and the, the scarves the blowing scarf in the wind went... and go isn't this a lovely time isn't it ho 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 yeah so uh, instead of being like Grace Kelly going around the winding <laughs> strips of San Francisco we're at a monster truck rally with all the bogans and hicks and redneck Cletus the slack-jawed yokels going here's Gummy Sue she's only got one tooth and Nickelback is blaring <laughs> Nickelback it's, is you blaring know, I like your pants around oh you oh my god oh, there you go I actually like the image of Thelma and Louise heading for the cliff <laughs> the well, So Mark and Rob, the Thelma and Louise of Doctor I'm, Who podcast. I'm more than happy to be the Brad Pitt of this duo. <laughs> it's more like Thelma and Selma. <laughs> uh, Very nice. Anyway. Now, Rob, what did you think of the two-minute clip, if you've Look, seen it? It was a little bit of a nothing clip. It's more, it wasn't like... Remember the good old days of the modern series when they like film specific little things yeah. and stuff like that I kind of miss those days I miss mm. the days of like the little segment um, just after Tenant Regenerated which I thought was actually a really beautiful thing that they should have incorporated into um, uh, Christmas you know, the, Invasion, the Christmas invasion yeah. because it actually showed Rose coping with the fact of this regeneration and not trusting the Doctor as opposed to in the Christmas Invasion where she just goes I miss him I love him I want him back oh, change back um, yeah. so yeah something like that you know just a little skit or something like that even Time Crash was a cute little thing mm. uh, in, in, in you know in most parts we were spoiled but, weren't we yeah we were yeah. spoiled quite uh, now they just go oh, we don't need to do much just show a little clip and that will be enough for the fans mm. uh, as opposed to taking the time and the effort to really show that they're being cared for as opposed to you know i don't want to use the word exploiting i'll just let you come to that um gently massage gently massage so yes i have noticed you know some of your comments about some of the lines not hitting some of the stilted work from some of the performances ribo doc in particular yeah I'm, i'm i mean i'm kind of cautious about what's going to happen because david bradley is one of the most amazing actors he has worked for so many years because he can just adapt it to anything comedy drama his work in Broadchurch was was heartbreaking his work in Hot Fuzz and um, all well his work with all the Cornetto uh, films that he did were hilarious um, his stuff in Harry Potter he's wonderful as Filch he's got a menace but also a great sense of humour uh, his work in Game of Thrones is horrifying and there's a great oh, yes. great scene in the most recent season I don't want it to be too spoilery where he's playing his character but it's someone else's version of his character and it's a masterpiece and it's a masterclass of acting so to see him come into this role a bit stilted and a bit reserved and and not finding that natural flow that he has as a performer is obviously it's only two minutes so we can only hope that there's more fluidity and charm and you know naturalism to what he does so do you think rob that he may feel or may have felt that his hands were tied in a sense because he was 
mimicking a previous performance and it wasn't necessarily how he would play the role. I never thought I'd find myself referring uh, in positive glows to the work of Richard Herndl. Um, But the fact that, you know, Herndl in The Five Doctors never tried to do anything other than his own interpretation of The First Doctor. Mm -hmm. You look at uh, Herndl's interpretation and you're not there going, that's him playing William Hartnell. You went, that's... A unique interpretation. Something else. That's something yeah. else. Something yeah. completely different. His stride, his gait, his delivery of lines was so much more, you know, almost like a Jeremy Brett style flair, theatrical flair to it, as opposed to the gruff uh, harshness and, and, you know, salty charm of Hartnell. So that's the thing. We They should allow, you know, Bradley to do his version. Just, and if it's, because there's no way he can mimic him, you know he's not going to be Hartnell. So play the role, you know, that he sees fit. I'll just read out quickly, Rob. Uh, During the week, the radio clickbait uh, had an interview with uh, Stephen Moffat. And I'll quote you. So Mr. Moffat says, David Bradley is such a good spot for William Hartnell, Moffat says in the footage. He looks so much like him and can so capture that part. So yes, from a looks perspective, absolutely. But as Rob said here, it's very hard to um, impersonate a performance where especially... And look, new series viewers... I was going through Twitter yesterday. We're all on board. They're going, isn't it fantastic to see uh, the first Doctor and the 12th Doctor meet? And there's that old fart in the corner, i.e. me. And also, there's a couple of others as well. We're all going, it's came across very stilted and very robotic. And coupled with the DWM cover this week, it says uh, David Bradley is the Doctor. I thought, not whitewashing, heart or washing going on, (laughs) I think, at the moment. I think it's just a bit problematic because it does... Look, and people say, well, what about Herndl? And, you know, two wrongs don't necessarily make a right. Look, I enjoyed Herndl's performance in the fifth... In the five Doctors. But as Rob says, it's it's very much his interpretation of, of the character. I just say, well, look, what happens when... I mean, you open the door to this sort of thing. So what happens when Tom Baker dies? And there's an interest in, you know, having the fourth Doctor appear. Do do you do this? Do you get an impersonator? I mean, if that's the case, why didn't Moffat uh, get an impersonator to cover for Eccleston? And this is the thing. There must be a specific reason. It must be tying to the Mondasian Cybermen coming in and from, uh, you know, time and and Space Enough at Last or whatever it was. The last episode. Oh, the Doctor Falls. Um, So there must be a reason for bringing back the first Doctor because they've got a perfectly... You know, perfectly beautiful, wonderful uh, doctor in the wings who could easily jump in. He he did a seven-minute, you know, little mini-sode for the 50th anniversary. I'm, all, I'm always, you know, a champion of Paul McGann. So here, here. if they're not bringing back McGann, there must be a specific reason why Hartnell, Hartnell's doctor was brought back. And it must be tied in some way, shape or form to this. So that's what we're waiting to see, that there has to be a specific reason. Um, for not bringing in the doctors who they can still use. They can still use the glory that is Paul McGann. So that's what I'm waiting to see. I'm a bit cautious and suspicious. I'm aware that Moffat's tired, Moffat's moved on, everything. He's credibly spent. And to his credit, though, he's had to do this at the last minute because apparently Chibbers, well, allegedly didn't want to do it. Hmm. But look, it's only two minutes, so I'm not going to pontificate about it that much. But the thing is, Peter Capaldi, in my opinion, should be given the space by himself to have a really good rollicking adventure and not have reflections of a 50-year-old program which nobody can vaguely remember apart from us four or five fans. You know what I mean? So, look, I know where they're going to go with this. You know, why, you know, the first Doctor's got it, you know, is denying changing. Well, actually, we know he does because I don't know if Stephen Moffat's actually known about a story called Parallel Daleks. So we all know that. (laughs) Um, But I don't understand this whole retconning and some people say, well... That's the animated one, isn't it? Oh, yeah, the one that that they animated. Yeah, they're shrugging their shoulders a lot. (laughs) They got the the cast of uh, Captain Pogwash. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that the better. Um, (laughs) For me, I would have liked to see Capaldi just have his own story to go out in style as opposed to having Gattis 
Bradley, Ben and Polly recasts, Tenth Planet references. I mean, really, we give Eric Sayward and J&T a hard time about Attack of the Cybermen. This is really Attack of the Cybermen 2017. But look, I know I've only seen two minutes, so... It is going to be interesting to see how time how time affects the, the Moffat era and, see, and how he is held up through time. We're still, I don't think we're completely out of how close we are to yeah. to the Russell T Davies era. I think we need another couple of years before we can start look, reflecting on it in a more objective sense and blending it more into the whole spectrum that is Doctor Who's, you know, whole canon. But yeah, for me, I see it as this is the checklist of all the things Capaldi as the ultimate fan would have wanted. You know, he didn't get to have a, you know, a multi-Doctor story you know, as opposed to just his eyebrows. So I could see that kind of catering to his fandom to go can I just have one multi-doctor story as long as it's connected in that strong sense to why they've got the first doctor there I'm I'm always hopeful but I am a bit cautious and you know from the from the two minutes it was a bit unremarkable um so we can only hope for the best because as we found out with uh enemy of the world the only episode that survived was the most boring episode of the whole six we get the whole story back and we go Actually, it's pretty good. It's balmy and crazy and yeah. time and, 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 you know, globe trotting and, uh, mm. yeah, yeah, a lost gem. It's easy for us to jump down the throats. So, yeah, we'll give it. We'll wait till Boxing Day where it's shown here. Um, Greatest day of the year. Does anyone think that Moffat will be able to resist explaining the uh, Capaldi's appearance in Day of the Doctor? It'll be in there. It'll be in there. It'll Don't worry. There. <laughs> Everything will be in there. It'll be like yeah. one line, blink and you'll miss it. And you go, yeah. all right, that's the reason why. Yeah. So... Just on Rob's point, I think that with time, Moffat's era may be viewed reasonably positively. I think. I think as a, I think as a writer, uh, he, he's he, what he has demonstrated is capable of, of really good individual episodes. But I, I think, as you said, Mark, he's 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 right at the end of his creative creative tether at the moment. I think. And sincerely, I hope that the Christmas ep- episode works. But again, as Mark said. I think it's um, unfortunate that Capaldi is sharing the limelight with with Bradley. Um, people will sort of, you know, will concentrate less on his performance, I think, mm. and, and more on how Bradley, you know, approaches the role and how he depicts the first Doctor. I, I mean, look, again, the two-minute clip, it's, it is it is harsh to sort of judge, uh, and impossible, actually, to judge the overall tone of the episode, but I just saw in the in the writing there that you've got two things going on in that clip. You've got Gaddis struggling to come to terms with the idea that there's actually more than one world war, and clearly for this particular character, the First World War has been an absolute horror. But that's fighting with the banter. Now, we all expect banter in multi-Doctor episodes. That's fair enough. But, uh, I don't know, Moffat is sort of treading all over that uh, really poignant moment where Gaddis's character is trying to come to terms with the realisation that there's more mud and blood somewhere in the world. So, anyway. For me, it's also the case of... It's kind of like... It's, it's stunt casting because it's just Moffat wanting to get all the band back together, really. So it's all the people that are important to him in this final story. And Gatus is one of them. And so to mm. see Gatus there walking into the TARDIS for the first time going, it's bigger on the inside, all that stuff, you're taken out of it because you know it's Gatus. You know that it's him. He, you know how much of a fan it is. So you don't see him as the captain from World War One. You see him as mm. you know a very talented comedic writer and performer desperately trying to assume a role that you know he's a little bit removed from and pushing it a bit hard so i can't you know already my believability and connection to that has been taken a step out so that's going to be tough are we taking a bet that that captain's going to be lethbridge uh, stewart's dad 
we'll see. We'll yeah, see. I think he's going to have some sort of connection with Lethbridge Stewart. If it was World War Two, I would have gone. Well, that's going to be you know a young Lethbridge Stewart, but now mm. it's going to be you know Stewart's dad or something. And yeah. Anyway, we've talked about the clip longer than it actually went for. So let's talk about <laughs> the costume. Jodie Whittaker's costume uh, was unveiled a couple of weeks ago. I think there's been a bit of denial about Jodie's casting over the last couple of months, potentially. And I think when this photo was released, it hit with a vengeance to uh, some people. And of course, the internet went absolutely nuts. And what's your feelings on it, Rob? Look, I'm no fashion plate. If anyone could actually see what I'm wearing at the moment, I... Uh, they would run screaming. What did I think of it? I was... Look, I don't want to be typed as just being negative for the sake of being negative. I was just a little bit underwhelmed. I thought, you know, culottes? 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 That's a great way to say it. Culottes? Yeah, there's a great way. That's one way to say it. <laughs> I love the accent that you put onto it. Thank you very much. Um, what did I think of it? As you can see, I'm just struggling to come up with, with, with a, a coherent response. <laughs> look... If if it was worked out in concert with Jodie Whittaker and she's she had a lot of input in in how she wants to uh, have herself visually portrayed uh, and and actually you know it it'll be her working uh, uniform in in effect yeah. so if she had a lot of input in that well fair enough that's what she wants to do and you, you can't go against that but in terms of design and whatever I think there were so many more better and more appealing um, you know costumes to, to to come up with so I, I look personally. I think it's a little bit unfortunate. Uh, it seems to be a sort of a, a melange of uh, sort of 70s and early 80s uh, a fashion, which which could be interesting. But um, uh, I don't know, boys. Which did you prefer, my pronunciation of culottes or melange? <laughs> I like both myself. Uh, you are a, quite a continental man. What type of design were you thinking of? In in way before I do do my uh, spiel, what what were you sort of like? In, I mean, every fan has their own initial idea. What were you kind mm. of? Not not hoping for, but kind of like envisioning. Yeah, yeah. have in your mind. Well, uh, to be honest, I didn't really think about it at all. So what 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 came to me was was sort of something that I hadn't really thought about, to be to be frank. So what what what, what would have appealed to me now? I suppose. Look, I don't know. I mean, obviously, wearing a dress, uh, a longish dress, is sort of impractical. I mm. suppose. Um, <sighs> I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'm not a big fan of the colours. I would have preferred a more sort of a darker look, uh, more earthier tones, perhaps. Mm. Uh, listen to me for Christ's sake. <laughs> no, this is what I love about being a Doctor Who fan. It's sort of like this case of we do the type of things that other people uh, just go, "What the hell are you doing?" So as soon as mm. it's the cycle of Doctor Who fans. So as soon as an actor or actress is cast as the Doctor we immediately go, no, they're never going to be good. I give up on Doctor Who. Oh, I'm coming around. Oh, they're fantastic. Please never leave. Mm. Oh my God, here's a new one. Oh, I hate them. And we go around in that cycle. Then when they're cast, we then go, right, they're cast. And the first thing we ask them, how long are you going to stay? And then what we do is then... And of course, and we do the same thing. Well, you just have to wait and see as if they're going to... or Because when one actor did say how long he exactly wanted to stay, how well did that work out for you, Colin (laughs) Baker, wanting to do more than seven (laughs) years? Exactly. And then we go through, right, so we've got our doctor, what are they going to wear? Mm. And so then we go into that whole thing, because it doesn't happen in uh, Star Trek or, or Star Wars or anything like that. You know the kind of design that you're going to get in way, shape, or form. Doctor Who fans immediately go, right, let's look into fashion. What colors, what scheme, what, what palette, what templates we're going to go for? Um, and that whole process begins. So I think it's been a fascinating process to see now with our first um, woman doctor that mm. you know in many ways the template is has has changed and of course as we know from the entire history of doctor who most doctors have had their own say in how they want their costume to be shaped and structured you know pertwee was very 
in control of what he wanted after it was decided on the frills and the velvet jacket and the cape. So he got variations of that. Mm. Tom Baker took his variations of the scarf and, and um, you know, jacket combination from Bohemian into a more, you know, gothic style and Edwardian. Uh, but then we get to the John Nathan Turner era where it was very much, it'd be stopped, it stopped being clothing and became Costumes. costume. Mm. So, you know, Davison mentioned in some way, shape, or form, I'd like the cricket look, bang, then that's what became set. Colin Baker had no influence whatsoever. He said, oh, I'd rather like, you know, all black or something like that. He didn't get that at all. They had to wait for Eccleston. So, and then, of course, we have Paul McGann as well. But from the modern series, the Doctors have had a major, major influence of what they wanted. You know, Eccleston wanted it stripped right back, just the leather jacket, nothing at all. He could just blend it anywhere. David Tennant definitely wanted that Jamie Oliver look. He said he saw Jamie Oliver on a show once and he had the a suit at, at a premiere, a suit and chucks. And he went, that's what I want for my doctor. Same with uh, Matt Smith. Matt Smith, had want, Smith wanted more of a long coat type of pirate type look. But then through the course of trying on things, he said, let's just try this. I want to try that bow tie. I want to try that patches and tweed jacket. And that's how he found it. Same with Capaldi. He wanted specifically to do a costume that a kid who had no money whatsoever could do with his own clothes and his dad's jacket. I love that type of combination. And with Jodie, we could see her influence in. She's, you know, she's 30, 36, 37, I believe. So she's a child of the 80s as well. And you can immediately see that influence of, you know, Banana Rama, Debbie Gibson type of feel. It's more bright and colorful, which I kind of like because we've gone from Capaldi era, which was dark and broody and a lot more adult and gritty in its storytelling, which has isolated more of the mainstream fans. So we're going for more, you know, it's not it's not Colin Baker's costume, but we've got a, a definite style to it. But what I love most about it, it is not specifically gendered as a costume. Mm. A lot of people were yes. there going, oh, we, well, why, oh, I was seeing her in a corset and more Victorian era. And I'm there going, <laughs> corset, yeah. yeah, it's, mm. you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, to the time when our society doesn't have a stigma towards cross-dressing and doesn't see it. I think we've moved on a lot. It's thanks to the footy show and stuff like that, wearing <laughs> it out to the point where now, you know, it's not a mm. joke to make fun of people who dress up another, you know, in, in you know, cross-dress or stuff like that. It's some people, it's a valid lifestyle choice. Oh, it's 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 a very androgynous, isn't it? It is, uh, and it's something. Outfit. I was just thinking, it's that. something that boys and girls can dress up in, and or you know, it certainly de-emphasizes her femininity, doesn't it? Her female. It's form. it's look. A lot of people have commented on the fact that they don't like. It's really odd. People are focusing on specific things. A lot of people are saying they're not liking the pants. There are a lot of female fans going nut. Don't like the pants. Don't like the pants at all. And a lot of male fans that who I've been talking to go, pants are fine. Um, a lot of the guys are going, we love the braces. A lot of the girls are going, we love the braces. But a lot of the boys are going, oh, we don't like the braces because they, you know, the braces are more for guys to wear. And it's sort of like because of her her figure, it's kind of going to be ruined by that. So her figure is still there. Her, her, you know, she's emphasizing her femininity, but it's, you know, it's the type of stuff that I've seen. You know, the you know all the eighties girl bands you used to dance around in when they were doing covers of you know 60 songs um oh yeah but i love the, i love the fact it's got a little bit of every doctor there you've kind of got the boots of 11 you've got the the long jacket of 10 you've got the earrings the odd earrings that are up around at the top there and you know pertwee had a had a bit of a, a love for for, for jewelry with his rings and stuff like that um i do enjoy the the braces and um 
the the stripes on the shirt, which kind of have an allusion to the uh, color scheme of Tom Baker's uh, scarf. And it, and and I like the fact it's a little bit Mork from uh, Mork and Mindy. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, and that's a you know, tribute to the 80s. And it's it's good. And even the new TARDIS has been getting a lot of focus. And I remember a thread on my Facebook feed about the costume and then someone went into looking at how the TARDIS has gone back to a more 80s design. And a friend of mine who's a huge nerd went, okay, even for me, this is the biggest, nerdiest conversation that I've ever seen online. So um, for <laughs> me, I'm... scratch the service. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you go down that rabbit hole, yeah. you never get out. So I, for one, I love it. I think it's a, it's a bold statement. It's a big statement of where, uh, where Chibnall and... Uh, Whitaker want to go with uh, with their interpretation, and it's functional. It's very functional. Um, you know, she can get down and, and and explore and investigate and run and hide and keep warm. When you've got those cool, cool nights down in Cardiff, it's definitive for her, and it's a step away from the dark, groom and gritty, gritty uh, adult uh, era that was definitely taking up a lot of uh, Capaldi's later era. I wasn't a big fan of it, but. To be honest, poorly constructed Photoshop image. Mm. I think we need to see it on the road, as it were. Obviously, on you know on, on film, graded with everything else. So, like Rob, I had a particular image in my mind, and I got Siobhan from Bananarama. But <laughs> got back together. They have, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Just, yeah, exactly. touring around the UK at the moment. They were on Graham Norton a couple of weeks ago. Oh, good on them. They're all getting back when the money's involved. <laughs> I need to see it in the context of the television show. And, and I, look, to be honest, I was focusing more on the costume. People going on about the TARDIS. Is, I think I put a tweet going, oh, I didn't really notice it, to be honest. So. Well, that's the thing. When when Tenet was announced and when Matt Smith were announced, they were both on-location photos. Like, Tenet's photo was done with Billy Piper and the TARDIS just out on a location. The wind was blowing. Tenet's hair was a bit messed up. It was just, you know, out in an open location. That was it. Um, Matt Smith's first reveal was not even a, a official shot. It was like a behind-the-scenes photo of him and Amy, uh, him and um, yeah, uh, Karen, Karen Gillan, yeah. um, just going through their lines. And that revealed that was their reveal then. But it's since Capaldi's first reveal was very much photoshopped, and there was a studio shoot with a white background. And this one is even more yeah. uh, photoshopped, which is kind of yeah. That was the thing that annoyed me a bit. I'm there going, we want to see it. In a real now, it's clearly in a real environment. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. clearly photoshopped with the background, the color scheme, everything. Yeah. Um, everything is done minute. You can see the BBC going, "We don't want to set this up in any way, shape." Or but they form. do anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so it'll be it'll be good to finally see it, you know, moving and breathing, and you know, in reality as opposed to you know, Photoshop world. Also, Murray Gold's leaving. Yay! <laughs> I'm just going to say, I had an image in my head. Remember when the JNT apparently took Dudley Simpson out to dinner and said, Dudley, you're out. Yes, he did. Can you imagine that uh, Chris Chibnall took Murray Gold out to dinner and said much the same thing? No, because I think Murray Gold lives in New York, doesn't he? He faxes uh, his music scores in, which is probably why they all sound the same. Pretty much. I don't mm. think Chip has had the conversation. It was basically your contract is not being renewed and from uh, the BBC. It needed a change four or five years ago. So thanks, Murray, for your work. But Yeah, just like with anyone who's an artistic director of a festival or anything like that, stay for your you know, three or four years and then move on. And Murray has been with us for a long time and he's done some great stuff. Even, you know, Dudley did a great job for however many years he was he was with. But, but it got yeah. samey. I mean, and yeah. that's the thing. It's been very samey. And you could tell in that clip of the Christmas episode, you know, the TARDIS doors open, cue swelling music, you know, the faders yes. go up. It's like, yeah, come on. 
yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where um, where Chibnall takes it with uh, who he announces next for music. Now, are we going to talk about the the casting of the Companions? The rumours of Bradley Walsh were going around in August when it, when it was kind of announced that Jodie Whittaker was there. Then within a week, like straight away, they're going, it's going to be Bradley Walsh. And of a lot of people just go, what, the guy from The Chase? He's old. He's old. But then it came into into reality. It was released. No, it's him. And he's got. Uh, they've got two other Companions as well. And... It's going to be a, a big TARDIS, a full TARDIS. Look, it, it may not have worked in the 80s, but it certainly worked in uh, 63, 64, 65 with Hartnell and uh, Barbara and Ian and uh, and Susan. And Bradley Walsh is actually more than just host of The the Chase. He, he, he worked on uh, Law and Order UK, which was run by Chris Chibnall. So he's very much using the people he knows. And a lot of people going, oh, Oh, that's that that that's not right. I'm going. Have you seen every single Tim Burton film over the last ten years? He pretty much just uses Johnny Depp and the Helen Bond Carter. Directors use the cast they know. Steven Spielberg used uh, Richard Dreyfuss quite a lot. Act- directors use actors they know and they can trust, and that's what Chibnall's doing. Uh, Bradley Walsh did an incredible turn on Law and Order UK. He also did a very impressive run on uh, Coronation Street, or was it EastEnders? He did a, a couple of years on that, and he was got a lot of great press for that. He's also a comedian as well. His energy, I think, will be good for the show, and the young cast they've got around him as well, and uh, Jody are, are really good. And what a lot of people are saying, maybe that he's going to be playing like the the Brian, you know, Rory's dad mm. role that that. Chris Chibnall introduced in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship which is great because I loved Brian Brian was a wonderful character and a really good addition to the show and he worked beautifully with Rory and Amy and especially with the Doctor so if we get that kind of similar energy into the TARDIS and you could see Chibnall likes having a gang yes in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship so he likes to move it around with the characters that he had in The Power of Three and also Dinosaurs on a Spaceship so yeah, I'm very excited to see. It's a whole new change because I'm I'm not a fan of just the Doctor and one companion. I like you know I like the Doctor and two companions, and if it's done well, the Doctor and three. So I like a I like a you know a crowded TARDIS. I'm not just you know I'm I'm a stickler like that. I think the rumours are that they're all not going to be there or potentially at the same time. No. So look, to be honest, I've got no preconception. I've seen Bradley Walsh on the chases over here. I've got no preconceptions of of the others. At the end of the day, the, the, the casting director, Andy Pry, has done a pretty good job. So, And they don't just get anybody. So It's definitely a off. more diverse cast to have you know, someone of uh, Indian background and, and, and an African-English uh, actor in there. It was great diversity and, you know, and that, you know, we need to show more of that. What Unlike about when people channel- say, PC! PC, PC <laughs> gone mad! It's not PC gone mad. I mean, it's, it's simply reflecting the diversity that is within the UK population. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no. it's been massive change since the since the end of the Second World War when people from you know the, the immigrants from the colonies came over to the UK. And it, you know, look, Australia, as our Prime Minister keeps on saying, is one of the most multicultural, diverse countries in the world. And, and my, my my family, uh, you know, comes from Europe. It came from Europe after the Second World War. Um, it, diversity isn't a weakness; it's a strength. And, and for people just to uh, uh, to, 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 to rant on about PC and all that sort of nonsense. Well, clearly they, they've not emerged from the caves that their ancestors, you know, uh, gave birth to them in. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It worked beautifully and successfully on the Sarah Jane adventures for, for four and a half seasons. And, you know, finally, you know, the main show has caught up with what uh, Sarah Jane did yeah. while uh, Liz Slade was alive. So The show is about to undergo one of its periodic changes. And it might, might be more slightly, it's more, more radical than previous change, but it's changed nonetheless. 
And look, you know, for, people should be excited by this. We have a female actress playing the lead role of one of the most iconic television shows, you know, of the last 60 mm-hmm. years. Uh, and it's it's going to reflect Britain back to itself with regards to the to the to the to the to the main cast who have been uh, you know who been brought on board. So if you're concerned about the show, that's fair enough. But you should also feel a little frisson of excitement that um, <laughs> not only have I managed to say culottes and melange and frisson, <laughs> oh my, in, in the same podcast, he, can't tell. he gets he gets a contract with a four hundred. Limited print spin-off niche thing. You've changed, he's all, Rob. He's all gone highfalutin. Or should we call you Robert? Robert. Robert, please, please. Robespierre. You're, you're casting me back to my French teacher in 1984. Saucy, saucy. And now we've gone all the way back to a lot. Benny Hill. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, just embrace the change. I mean, you know, I'm, look, I'm an old stick in the mud and, you know, some, some things I don't... Sometimes I don't like change, but really, objectively... People just should go. Wow, this is this is fantastic. Chibnall's going to do something completely different. Whittaker's going to bring a new and fresh take to the role. We've got new lead actors. Everything prior to this is going to be scrubbed away, and they're going to start again. It's great. And that's the thing. That's what the show does. Yeah, like you said. You know, this is the the biggest seismic change of the show, and style and look of the show since you know from the classic series into the telly movie. Really, you've seen little hmm. changes of storytelling and style between you know Russell T. And and Moffat, but it's kind of been the same. It's that, subtle, it's yeah. yeah it's not but real. this is a massive change. This is a big statement, a bold statement, and we haven't had that bigger statement of you know since uh, since the telly movie hit in '96. Even earlier, yeah. I mean, you'd be going. It's actually bigger than the season seven. I mean, yeah, you know, this is like big. This is like Power of the Daleks. Yes, almost but, very much. But without so. the animation from steroids. steroids and without the sh- padding shoulders, <laughs> you know. So bring it on. Bring it on. time for our look at top five unit stories Yay. so this is the last top five probably for a long time <laughs> no, no 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 there'll be the top five uh, missing stories that phil morris has returned in 2018 oh yes we'll get ready for that one that's on standby isn't it <laughs> it'll be a long standby mate same rules apply can you remember them gentlemen so basically we'll go through our lists and anybody's got the same you can yell snap we'll merge the notes together and uh, have a conversation and now this is our third top five and we've and both both ones we've done before we haven't snapped yet no i think there will be some snapping tonight so as you are a guest rob would you like to start snapping Alrighty. well i'm going to start with my number five which is the power of three mm. it is a chris chibnall story in um in the matt smith era it's the first introduction of kate lethbridge stewart um and it's the uh, the slow invasion of the uh the mini cubes invade, invading the uh, the planet Earth slowly but surely, and and it's the welcome back of a unit where uh, where science is sort of like taking the lead. And unit was always around in the Russell T Davies era. Didn't really have a fully formed shape or a regular cast there to keep us connected in any way, shape, or form. They tried to with Martha Jones, but it didn't really work. But this was a Chibnall statement of this is unit this is a bold unit this is some a new face but connected to the past kate lethbridge stewart played by uh, the fabulous Gemma redgraves of the redgraves family and this is a, a solid start for her she is sassy she's got a great sense of humor she's science-based um i believe in later inclusions of her in um 
uh, Day of the Doctor and also uh, the Zygon Invasion Inversion. They've kind of pushed her as far as they can with her acting ability. I don't think she's the most uh, diverse uh, of actresses out there. She's not the best Redgrave, is that what you're saying? Uh, not one of the best Redgraves. No, she's, she's not a mum. No. But she uh, has a great first impact and a great uh, introduction in that. And it's a good solid unit story, all connecting the worldwide, working there with the Doctor and um, you know, hopes for the future. And that's what I like in a unit story. I like seeing unit working at its best in the forefront to help the story move forward. So, and it's unlike, it's a modern version of unit that I really liked. I never really got into the Russell T Davies era version of unit. It wasn't really defined, but this from uh, Power of Three is a clear statement of how unit is now. And they carry that on successfully um, through the rest of Matt Smith's era and into Capali. See, the problem is I've got with the, with the new unit is that because I've watched the old ones so much, mm. the new unit, the, the regular characters don't resonate with me, mainly because I don't have any watched them once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my number five, both Robs, is The Mind of Evil. Snap. Oh no! It's so early on. Okay, <laughs> all right. So I'll go with my spiel, and then yep. you can you chip in with your stuff. How's go that? So basically, Mind of Evil. Now I always call this story the Last Garp. Garp. <laughs> Good film, though. The world according to. Yeah, the world according to. Last gasp of season seven. This is well before the uh, cuddly unit family slash dad's army uh, style of unit that started to emerge from this point. In this story, unit, at the forefront of the plot for this story, they're mainly a uh, used this time around as a military presence, a military outfit, uh, for providing security to one of the many peace conferences that seem to happen through uh, the Third Doctor's so era. So many peace conferences? Yeah, not enough peace. They're obviously responsible for uh, moving and also losing <laughs> the Thunderbolt uh, missile, infiltrating and storming Stamore Prison with obviously great uh, action sequences to boot. Benson gets to follow a uh, suspect, unlike in an invasion he actually loses her. In this story, the Brig, Yates and Benson are really given a chance to shine. Going forward, this story is the exception to the rule because... You know, from from this point forward, after the story, I should say, it becomes the Cuddly Home Counties unit, which we'll see. Uh, which is a bit of a shame, to be honest, because yes, units' remit was always to investigate the uh, the strange and the the, the unexplained odd. and the unexplained. But I like this story because it sort of says yes, they do that, but they're also fairly effective as a uh, military unit themselves. Yeah, they do cause havoc, don't oh, they? Boom. Um, yeah, I love. You get a job in comedy. <laughs> I love Mind of Evil. Don Horton wrote two stories for the Third Doctor era, and they're two of my favourites. They're in my Inferno and Mind of Evil. Uh, and yeah, you're exactly right. It's it's the unit family working at their top form. You know, you've got you know Mike Yates working well, and you know being captured but escaping, and um, and trying to be a bit flirty with the uh, the Chinese. Uh, so yeah, she's a bit of a dolly. Bit of a dolly. You've got um, yeah. you've got Benton going out there and doing great stuff, and you know he's he's uh, he's um, too fragile for for field work. Um, <laughs> yeah. The attack on Stangmore Prison is beautifully shot. Mm. Such a wonderful sequence. The brigadier hasn't become all grumpy and and avuncular and avuncular yeah, and he's still... denying everything. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, he works well. He's aggressive. He's angry. Mm. Uh, he's someone you can still feel threatened by, but you know he's and he's still that great, beautiful foil with um with Pertwee and that beautiful final line when he's there going, you know, I'm left here. He can still travel everywhere, and I'm left here with you, brigadier. Beautiful line, and you see the brigadier just going, <laughs> screw you. <laughs> so it's a great story. The unit family is working well, and it's got um the actress who was 
or always on the phones, but she was there as well. Oh, what's her face? Yeah. Yep, she yeah. was there. Well, not even... Yeah, that's right. It was, <laughs> what's her it, face? Was, it was Gemma Redgrave. So yeah, it was, what I want in a unit story is the is unit working at its best. And Mine of Evil is, yeah, the last gasp of the serious yeah. unit before we go into... Yeah. A little playful and cuddly. Hey, do you like watching it in black and white or color? I watched it for in black and white for years, mm. but the color transition is done beautifully. Mm. So I prefer watching it in color. Actually, seeing oh really? Yeah, seeing it how it originally was. Mm. I think what they've done with the color oh, update on the DVD is yeah, beautiful. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the the it's the pinnacle of their color translation. They did pretty well with Ambassadors, but Mind of Evil is just perfection. Yeah, it's pretty good actually. And what about you, uh, my Rob? What's your choice? Uh, so my number five is Robot. Whoa! Oh, what? Oh, Rob! Whoa. <laughs> I don't know if I'm getting an ice cream headache or an actual headache you're causing me. I've chosen Robot because I think it's an effective vehicle for shivying the, uh, the the fourth Doctor Tom Baker through his first story. I mean, you know, it's a cheap and cheerful uh, unit. Uh, that's that, that's fairly clear, and obviously it's it's sort of Courtney's uh, you know last regular story. But I, I think I think uh, in terms of uh, again a way it, it sort of gives us a way into the into the fourth Doctor's character. It's an effective vehicle, and it also has the added benefit of not only promoting uh, Warrant Officer Benton, but it also uh, introduces Harry Sullivan as uh, played by Ian Martyr, of course. So I know people have their problems with Robot. It is probably a bit kitty. And uh, and all that sort of thing, but you know, it comes up trumps. They provide the, the the fodder for the giant robot to stomp on via CSO. I think the Brigadier was actually a great way for uh, the audience to sort of accept the Doctor. If the Brigadier can accept the Doctor, this new Doctor, then we all can too. So uh, yeah, robot. Should uh, Benton have been promoted a lot earlier than what he was? Well, I'm not entirely sure why Benton was promoted in the first place. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he sells very good to use cars, apparently. <laughs> But yeah, that's a, that's a bit strange, isn't it? But um, no, I look, uh, I I can't comment on Benton's uh, promotional uh, opportunities. No, Rob, I'm horrified that he actually did get that promotion in Robot. Actually, you know, he has punched a general in the nose, no matter how much that guy was working for, you know, Mission Golden Age. Um, you know, he, he he faints when he's under the control of you know the mind of evil. Um, and he wears a nappy. And he wears a nappy, and he you know. Can't even eat any food because it's stolen by Mike Yates. I mean, is there anything Benton can do right? The only one that did work really well was the Parallel Dimension version of Benton oh, yes. in, in Inferno. Yes. And he got turned into a, you know, yeah, a, a primal primal puppy. Yeah, yeah. Has anybody heard that unit... Big Finish 48 CD box set. It's got the old and the new. What's it called? The uh, unit? It's just, yeah, it's just... You know, just Cash unit. cow? Yeah. <laughs> What's it called? <laughs> no, I haven't um, heard any of the unit ones with, with Gemma and Osgood and uh, and the oldies coming back. Okay. No, neither have I. It's a real pity that era of Doctor Who is so... Uh, well, decimated is not quite the right word, but depopulated by death. <laughs> I mean, Courtney, Pertwee... Liz Shaw... Uh, they're all gone yeah. three that are remaining are struggling through I've got a little anecdote when uh, Katie Manning came to Australia in 2001 she came to a convention and Colin Baker was also there and I was really getting into Colin Baker on the Sunday afternoon just uh, he was waxing lyrical and then unfortunately Katie Manning came on stage and completely divided the entire afternoon and destroyed oh, I've resented her ever since I just revelations revelations people I had issues with Katie Manning especially from the audio commentaries and how you oh, know, yeah. she kind of railroaded things like that, especially when poor old Barry was trying to moderate them, and he just he just 
<laughs> was very tired. So later on, when they brought in um, Toby Haydock, he had a lot more control and focus, and he was really good at shaping the conversation so that they got the best out of all the guests. And years ago, I oh gosh, was it 2013? I did um, uh, Lords of Time up in Sydney. And I got to meet Jeffrey Beavers, uh, Matthew Waterhouse, Terence Dix, uh, Gary Russell, and Katie Manning came out. Now, at the time, she was a little bit um, distracted by the fact that um, her longtime uh, partner, Barry, was, uh, was a little bit sick and under the weather. So she was a bit distracted. And um, she came very distressed and very upset and very distracted. But um, I got to have a chat with her beforehand. And the first thing she said to me, I hadn't even met her. She said, darling, I am terribly sorry. I won't be able to stick around this evening to watch your performance of Who Me because I'll be going home just to look after Barry. And I went, that's totally fine. Understandable. Yeah. And, she, and she took a second just to center herself. And then she came out onto stage. It was a very dry affair. You have Terrence up there just going, it's my opinion. This is what I think. And screw the rest of you. And, um, Queen! Yes. But then you get, um, Katie came out and I saw her take a second just to center herself, focus herself. And she came on that stage and she was the utmost professional. She brought that diva quality, but she engaged, she didn't need a microphone. She engaged with every single audience member. She engaged with the old, crusty, you know, bitter, classic fans she engaged with the young new fans she engaged with the children she owned that stage for an hour and i just got so much respect for her and she was she knew how to switch on and off she never drew attention to herself she took her own time just to deal with her you know her pain because she was seriously worrying about someone one of her loved ones but she was the a professional she was always open to talk to people even when she was off stage this is you know a a woman in her 70s and she from that moment on i saw her how she was on stage and off stage and i from yeah i have the utmost respect for her and that's coming from someone who's gone a complete 180 who i couldn't stand the thought of her or, or her audio commentaries and stuff like that but finally meeting her for the first time i went no you are an absolute professional you are you kept your professional commitment and you you know you you know soldiered through and she was absolutely amazing it was an inspiring day just to be in her company for that day yeah boo sucks to you rob <laughs> yeah well i feel like shit <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just gonna google a naked katie manning grabbed over a garlic and boost my spirits after that <laughs> you're boosting something else. i just copped <laughs> yeah when rob was just talking about that he said old bitter classic fan and he looked at me. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of venom coming out. Yeah, but it's so funny because they always they always sit there with with their with their shirts all in black, and they just sit there and they just go no no. And as soon as Katie comes on, they just revert back to childhood, and they come just they they just fill with hope and they giggle. And I'm just saying the power that woman has over the uh, the cynical fans of yore is uh is is that's a superpower right there that's a wonder woman power right there your or you oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's all in pronunciation let's go to the french expert himself rob how do you pronounce it your or you or yeah look uh, i don't know but i'm just gonna say something in french that we worked out in 1984 and if anyone out there can translate please do so le jeton memehors oh my god uh, that sounds amazing 
uh, I'll tell you offline what that may actually mean. Anyway, <laughs> let's move to our next choice, Rob. Number four. I'm going for my uh, number four choice, and that is the two-part story that I know some of you have issues with, the Zygon Invasion Inversion. Mummy! Drop <laughs> power up. <laughs> this is a unit working at its best with refugee population of the Zygon, uh, the remains of the Zygon population, uh, to be, you know, infiltrated into earth society there are you know young you know extremists working to bring down the system uh Yuna's working to look after them but also quite suspicious of their events the doctor comes in to see what problems are going on we deal with the issues of osgood and whether she is really killed or is she was she a zygon copy and of course the answer is they are both osgood um, and it does include the greatest modern speech by a doctor uh peter capaldi you know, ripping apart uh, humans and warfare and the costs and the trauma in one of the most impressive performances that no other doctor could do. Tom? Tom would have that detached, you know, his detached theatricality of homo sapiens, mm. you know, was uh, was always a beautiful sign. But to have that raw energy, that passion, that anger, that, that damage that Capaldi can bring, uh, no one else could do. Possibly Eccleston, he could do a flying leap at it. But Capaldi could do the the trauma and the pain and the hurt, but also flip it with that cynical, nasty comedy as well. As we all know from Eccleston's era, he kind of struggled with the comedy. He did, didn't he? I'm um, going to miss Capaldi when he goes. Actually, yeah, yeah, me too. I was hoping he'd do the Pertwee Five, but he got the uh, the every three over five years. I can't. Remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, Zygon inversion. I I, I like. Uh, it's the Zygons done really well, as opposed to just being in the background of Day of the Doctor. We've got Kate there, ready to press the button again, but in a better way, in a better version than in Day of the Doctor. Um, we've got the multiple versions of of characters, which is great, and it ends uh, with a sign of hope which is always great in Doctor Who. I love my stories ending with hope and a little you know, wink of the eye of the Osgoods going off to work together to save the world. That is my number four. This is why we love having you on. <laughs> you are the light to our darkness, isn't he, Rob? As you said before, Mark, the sunny to our show. <laughs> the only reason I said the show is because we like our cannons big <laughs> and right. <laughs> avoid going on any snowfields. Hi Rob, thoughts on Saigon inversion invasion? I think this is probably Kate Lethbridge-Stewart's worst story perhaps or, 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 or her, her, her uh, limitations as an actress are certainly on display. It, look, it, it is interesting that Unit is so deeply involved in allowing or you know monitoring the Zygons but also allowing them to sort of uh, intermingle with normal society. Um, I, look, I can certainly, uh, I certainly understand how people find Capaldi's performance in that particular scene, you know, powerful. And you know, he says that it, what is it, the sixteenth or seventeenth time that he's tried this particular speech on them. So yeah, I, I, look, I thought perhaps it was a little bit too long and a little bit too overwrought, which you know, I, I, I'm sort of sure other find, other people find surprising that I'd say that. But I can see why people uh, like it so much. Um, but uh, yeah. I always found Inversion better than Invasion, to be perfectly honest. And when you talk about that story, I said, what do you think about that story? Oh, that speech was amazing. Yeah, but what about the rest of the story? Mm. So it just gets mm. overshadowed by... I mean, it was a, I mean, I thought it was a very effective performance by the, the great man. The great man um, The great man. Mm. Greater man. Mm. <laughs> Mark, what is your next story? After that dash of hope, I'm going to bring it back again to the old days because apparently I'm stuck there. It's the Invasion. 
Not the invasion, it's the invasion. Ooh. Uh, snap. Uh, is this a snap? Not with me. That's oh, really? Other okay. Roll. Other, Other roll. roll. Excellent. Okay, so I'll go through my uh, comments first, and you can uh, chip away afterwards. So basically, uh, the invasion is the pilot for season seven. Um, it takes the seeds that were sown in Web of Fear and germ- germinates them into Unit's first fully formed story. Uh, Colonel Rethbridge Stewart is also uh, reintroduced now as a brigadier. And the uh, plane headquarters at unit are flying around in uh, obviously dimensionally transcendental because I can get cars in and <laughs> everything else in there. The events of Let Le- Fear are briefly touched on as unit are have been formed and are familiar with alien uh, threats and menaces. There's no uh, spending a couple of episodes trying to get evidence and convincing people that there's actually going to be alien invasions happening because they've been spending the last couple of months uh, monitoring, i.e. beforehand. Uh, Jimmy F- Turner is the first of the contractor captains, as I call them, uh, that turn up over the next uh, few stories before Mike Yates uh, is appointed. There was no way that the regular army could have coordinated the the missile strike between uh, the UK and Russia, so it was actually uh, a really good thing that the United Nations remit actually came in handy in this instance. Overall, I think it's an excellent uh, adventure for UNIT to start off with and obviously has uh, ramifications for the uh, success of the series going forward. Thoughts, Rob, and other Rob? I can only concur with your brilliant summation of the story and your thoughts on it, Mark. I think I think it's a more expansive story uh, than we're sort of used to in terms of what, you know, latter-day UNIT. I mean, you've got flying fortresses and all that sort of thing, or flying headquarters. Um, the, the, the depiction of the, uh, of the Cybermen, I think, is probably the best we've had for, well, will have for a very long time. Uh, the lead villain, uh, Tobias Vaughn, great name, great name. Uh, International Electromatics. And let's not forget his sidekick, Packer. 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 Come in oh, here, Packer. Oh, I think it's just a, a cracking story. It's a pity that there are two episodes missing, but overall I don't think that really hurts it. Cybermen are depicted as being, you know, really strong and menacing and Machiavellian. Um, the unit, I think, you know, it, it, it does appear as a, as a proper military organisation, I think, more than what we got a little bit later when, you know, budgets were trimmed and uh, it became more of a family-friendly thing. Uh, and it's got Troughton in it, running up and down an alley, uh, <laughs> leaping over clouds of smoke. It's <laughs> great. great direction by uh, Mr. Canfield again. Mm. Again, Douglas. Yeah. My favourite moment is when he's on the f- on the floor. He's about to, uh, about to go, and then the girl starts taking photos oh, of yeah. him, and he just goes... Uh, uh, starts doing the bow tie. Does, does the bow tie yeah. and does the smile. Yeah. I I can't work out whether Troughton in those particular scenes, like in Enemy of the World, is just simply the second Doctor being bashful, uh, or Trouton trying to pick these ladies up. It's definitely Trouton trying to pick up. There is no, that, that, there's no acting at that moment. He wants to another, uh, add another envelope to the drop-off on the, on the Wednesday. To the Christmas Day drop-off. Fraser, we didn't do another drop-off. Again, that's seven, Pat. Um, um, yeah, I, I, I love Invasion. I didn't, I didn't have it in my top five because it's more like the proto... Uh, unit, so it's sort of like still shaping and forming what unit is for me and what it's meant to be, and making that bold statement. It's great to have Lethbridge Stewart back, and they're going, you know, pretty dear now. I've moved up in the world. Can I ask a question? Yeah, uh-huh. just as a sidestep, are today's millennials are they more prudish or less prudish? Ooh, in in relation to in well, relation in relation to, to sex, are they at it like rabbits, or are they more standoffish? Well, I, sadly, I wish I knew more about, you know, 
what, what, well, some what of the people, people in work, their twenties are doing with their sex life. They're on this uh, app called uh, Tinder or something, isn't it? Is that right? <laughs> the, the reason I ask is mm-hmm. I don't know that many of them actually know Troughton's family uh, history and the fact that he was at it hammer and tong up until allegedly the moment he passed from this mortal coil. There, there's two rites of passage that you need to go through as a Doctor Who fan, and they both relate to Patrick Troughton. When you first get into Doctor Who, you just go, isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? Isn't it amazing? And then the first reality that you find out is that, you know what? There are some stories that are missing. And you go, no, that can't be. You go through the seven stages of grief and all that type of stuff. You go, but they must be found. And then, you know, that's what you have to go through as a fan. And the next reality that you find out is because you do realize that Patrick Chowton died on the job at a convention. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> the dead can't sue still. Sunlight. <laughs> that's when the darkness starts to come into your life as a fan. Once you can accept that and move on, that's when you you know you're there for the long haul. And I think the chapter in the biography says uh, Trouton was a pants man, sort of gave it away. <laughs> and memo to new series fans, no matter how much you throw your iPod around the room, you won't be able to find all those missing episodes on Netflix. No. <laughs> How's that working for you, Rob? Oh, just as a side, another sidebar, I've finally, finally joined the 21st century and uh, upgraded my internet plan and also signed on for Netflix. And honestly, honest to God, I don't know how I survive without it. It's magnificent. It's just the best thing in the Isn't world. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, yeah. What are you watching? Uh, my wife and I are getting onto Longmire, which is a American Western cop drama set in That's Wyoming. That's with Aussie. Aussie is the lead. Is it Robert Taylor? Is yeah, an Aussie, he's isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's very good actually. I don't mind it. The third episode we watched last night was a bit meh, but um, look, we're going to get into all sorts of mischief with Netflix. It's oh, going to wow, be great. Wow. Hey, hello. But is, apparently, you can chill to it. I don't understand <laughs> what that means. Believe me, Netflix and chill does not mean watching Netflix and chilling. <laughs> Number three. My number three is the invasion of the dinosaurs. Snapper. Yes. Yeah, snap. all... And it's actually number three. Number it? three for you. Yeah. What was it for you, Rob? It was a two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, triple snapped. So for me, invasion of the dinosaurs is uh, the last great unit story in the classic uh, era. As in, you know, it's development of the characters. It's them working efficiently. They are able to evacuate all of London without any loss of life. Okay, and the way that Brigadier just says that in such an offhanded way makes you remember how steely and cool he was in that first scene with Liz Shaw in Spearhead from Space. You've got great humor and great development from, from Benton picking a fight and punching a general on the nose. But the, and the biggest <laughs> point is uh, Mike Yates. There's some beautiful stuff with Richard Franklin doing you know some of his best work as a very limited actor. His scenes with um, Liz Sladen are great when she, you know, talking about how empty it is, the clean, the air is clean, seeing a, seeing a fox uh, in Piccadilly Garden, all that type of stuff, and see how passionate he is about it, but how much he wants to keep his friends alive is, is a beautiful performance. And just to have that happen, yeah, for, for watching Doctor Who going, oh my God, it's a story arc. We didn't have this in Doctor Who. It's just one thing after the other. To see a story about a character we've loved and come to trust and kind of almost taken for granted. And, you know, he's got the rough end of the stick. We never got together with Joe. And then to finally, you know, see this man looking for some sort of hope in his life after, you know, the Metabilius crystal taking him over a bit to see that fall of Mike Yates is is really powerful stuff. 
And yeah, it's that last great use of uh, the unit family before you know, move on entirely. And again, yes, we know we've got the, the crappy dinosaurs. Yes, we know they don't work. But we do have a really solid unit story. We've got a conspiracy theory. And we've got Malcolm Hulk in, in top form with his final story before never writing for who again. I mean, basically, uh, Yates is suffering from, it's not obviously mentioned, uh, it's PTSD. Yes. Uh, from the events of the Green Death. I love that story. I mean, you mentioned crappy monsters. I mean, it's been derided for so many years because of the monsters. But then again, you could deride Doctor Who 90% of the time because the visual effects weren't great anyway, right? It's a script. So I'm really happy that my and Dave Kitchen's crusade to have the story revaluated <laughs> has actually uh, paid off. But also the way the Brigadier deals with uh, with Mike Yates as well in terms of the quiet resignation, not going through the rigours of court-martials. The, the man is obviously concerned for him, not as a soldier, but as a, as a a human being and I think as you said that whole arc thing the word arc was never mentioned back no. then but it was done so subtly yeah I, I love it to bits I think it's fantastic and I just finished reading the book a few months ago too um, the novelisation of does it. Hulk do the novelisation yeah he does yeah. it's really good his, his, his work in the novelisations are great his um, Doctor Who and the Cave Monsters is beautiful how he expands on periphery characters and stuff mm. so it's a yeah it's a great evolution of the characters and it is that subtle arc that they introduced in Pertwee's five years that um that makes it stand apart from other eras like you can watch Tom Baker from any era really and same with Davison and all the other doctors but John Pertwee you can his era you can watch from Spearhead from Space and watch it in order and you do see an evolution of these characters and you see you know arcs of stories happens and it's a great point and to have it then resolved in planet of the spiders was really good it's a shame you never get to see you know yates and brigadier together in planet of the spiders just to have an acknowledgement of this is what we've done that'd be um, fan wank though wouldn't it really you know, well and that's what yeah, yeah that's so, what fans would done now. i mean that, that was the time. moth will be bloody on that wouldn't it <laughs> q murray they'd go back to devil's end they'd have that beer that, have that, that pint. pint let's have that, that pint again strati in the background singing <laughs> and murray gold going hear my music <laughs> i don't know what it sounded like war of the worlds by jeff wayne yeah but oh. yeah so yeah what about you rob what's your uh thoughts on invasion of the dinosaurs I've just been busily plotting out the fall of Mike Yates, a six-disc box set from Big Finish. Thank you. My views largely echo uh, what you guys have said. Uh, put aside the dinosaurs, and the dinosaurs aren't, aren't too bad. They're all right. But you, as you say, it, it's a, it's a Malcolm Hopp was a great writer and sadly largely forgotten today, except amongst embittered old classic series fans. <laughs> He's looking at me again. <laughs> I mean, there's the Brigadier in, in top form. There's unit depopulating uh, London, much like what happened in the Web of Fib. People just they don't know whether they're coming or going if you live in London in this period. <laughs> you're out, you're in, you're out, you're in. Um, there's the conspiracy th- thriller angle to it, which you know is, is uh, not necessarily what Doctor Who has always done. People say that Pertwee had sort of basically lost interest uh, in his last season. I, I can't see any evidence of that. Um, I, I just think it's a cracking good story and... Uh, it, look, the whole golden age thing. You, you, there's these misguided individuals who are, you know, trying to do the right thing, but it involves mass, you know, mass murder, basically. You know, Grover's good, and it's got um, Peter Miles Whitaker, back. Yeah. It's yeah. got Jarvis there, young Jarvis, yeah. and you know, it's got the almost like in Enemy of the World. It's got a balmy second half where they go, yeah, let's send them off to outer space, but it's a big conspiracy so that all these environmentalists and new Earth people can be fooled into um, you know, going back to the Earth being sent back to you know, prehistoric era, which is you know, so balmy and crazy, and it works. And General Finch is actually very good too. Finch is uh, great. Oh, that's yeah. John Bennett. Yeah. yeah, John Bennett's great um, without any... <laughs> 
facial additions. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell, you know, you look at uh, Brigadier's obviously torn uh, between obeying Finch's orders as opposed to trying to protect the Doctor. So there's some really good... I mean, you mentioned about Pertwee's last series. I mean, he's definitely not following the offending in. You're right. By Monstro Paladon, you can just tell he is he's done yeah. and manages to um, sort of find the energy uh, towards the end. A bit like doing a podcast, really. Uh, <laughs> this is some of our best work tonight, Mark. I'm, I'm wrapped. It is, actually. <laughs> apart from the MBN has uh, gone down to my house for half an hour, but so you'll, uh, you won't notice the edit. Or maybe you will. I don't know. Number two. So our next one, young Rob, number two. Oh, look, I tossed and turned over this for many, 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 many nights. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the story? Silurian. Oh, hey. very good. Dave Kitchen will be very happy with you. <laughs> I'm going to go with Doctor Who and thy Silurians. Look, I, I love all of season seven. I think I, I think it just it works really well as an integrated whole. It almost feels completely separate from what comes after, but, but, but regardless. Look, Silurians... We, we see we, we've got a moral conundrum here in, in effect a, a species that once owned the planet have come back and they want it but you know we're here and 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 there's all sort of the machinations that are going on there uh, again you know there's the, there's the uh, there's the, the brigadier at the, at the very end of it I mean the brigadier throughout this particular se- uh, season is, is very much a character and you know he's got to make a really tough decision you know d- to defend the planet he has to basically commit a genocide in a sense by, by bombing. Uh, Wenley, Wenley Moore, the bunkers under Wenley Moore, yeah. and, the, and the Doctor's righteous fury at at, at what he has done uh, meets, uh, you know, comes up against the Brigadier's stoicism about, well, what other choice did I really have? I mean, what other choice does the Brigadier have? There's no way humanity would cop, you know, coming to terms with the Silurians. It just xenophobia would would break out all over the world. I think it's a really well constructed episode. I think very effective scenes with the virus being unleashed in in, in London. Oh god, that stuff's incredible. You know, it it it's sort of it's a precursor to what happens with uh, um, survivors later in the decade. So look, it's w- well shot. The, the 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 creature design for the Silurians is 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 masterful. The music. <laughs> All in all, I think it's a it's a really strong episode for Unit. It's a strong episode for the Brigadier, and it's a it's a great episode for Pertwee. Definitely, yeah. And there is that arc again, you know, because you see that the Doctor is traumatized by what uh, the Brigadier has done, because the Doctor always, you know, kind of has almost unrealistic expectations. He expects everyone to be as advanced as he is or as progressive as he is he's there going well of course we could just make it work you know there are parts of the earth that you know hospitable for 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 humans and you could just live there why can't everyone else just see it as as move forward as i am and he you know he always asks for the best of humanity and even though we get there eventually we just need to take a little bit longer and then at the end yeah the start of the next story that's really the redemption of third doctor and brigadier's relationship because uh, there's that classic line where he's there going you know he's quite bitter at at the brigadier going you know he seems he's doing stuff after he blew up the silurians but then he's called back in and if the brigadier and the doctor hadn't worked so hard to bring those ambassadors back to their people i think you know the doctor's relationship with with Leopard Stewart would have been ruined. But you can see at the end of that seven-part story, when the ambassadors are there, he went to shake their hand, and he says goodbye to the Brigadier as he goes back to his love. They have a smile, they have a moment together. They healed through that story. And it's all because of Silurian. It's two different viewpoints going at it. And that's the scientist up against uh, the, military you know, the military. Bob, can I ask, do you, th- do you think it's the case of the Doctor being progressive in this instance or the Doctor being naive? Because... <laughs> Uh, just to be a little bit controversial, because I mean, if 
is the bigger the bigger realist here? Because if, all right, yes, there are barren places in the world that the Silurians could you know settle and all that sort of thing. But do you do you think that humanity would let them do what they want, or would there be elements of humanity who would want to exploit them or exploit their technology? Oh no, I can definitely I can definitely see the um, the naivety of or mm. the, the myopic view of the Doctor who who cannot see that realistic view because he's so focused on what's ahead of him he doesn't see what's actually going on in the reality of the world and that's what you know yeah. the brigadier is so looking from a production point of view of course he had to blow them up because that then it would be the silurians would be there every single week but yeah and and that's that's what we love about the doctor is that complexity of the case that he is part progressive but also there is a naivety and quite a simplicity to what he does i mean what did he do when he when he couldn't cope with being on his home planet, he ran away. The ultimate um, naive view of things, he ran away to the circus or he ran away to you know the time and space vortex. So yeah, I think it, it's very much a, a collection of both, you know, thinking too far ahead and not looking at what's happening. And that has a sense of a naivety and a sort of like a callow approach to him. Definitely. Mm. My number two is Spearhead from Space. Now, snap. Oh, snap. As you said before, season seven is really hard to choose from. Yes. If you think about it from a unit point of view, well, Inferno, they're there for some of it. It's mainly taken up by the uh, Republican forces. Yeah. Not the Saddam Hussein ones, but the the (laughs) other ones. Solurians, absolutely. I was really torn between Solurians and this, but I think this one actually wins out because, yeah, it would have been too easy to say uh, season seven in its entirety. But look, <laughs> let's be honest, it starts off the, the third Doctor era with with a bang. From a story point of view, though, it is probably the Invasion 2.0, but because it's a lot shorter, it gets straight to the point. The, the Brigadier trying to determine if the uh, Stranger in the Wood is actually a Doctor is a different take on alien monsters that don't believe you scenario. Another short-term captain is introduced again. Again, I don't really understand if I didn't lock at least that captain in, I think it was Captain Munro, uh, in for the yeah. long haul, as opposed to swapping him out again in Solarians. Because he was great. He was Munro good, was yeah. really good. A yeah. Wonderful actor. But then again, you wouldn't have been able to see Paul Darrow as Captain Hawkins in Solarians, so they should have probably locked that in a bit earlier, but uh, obviously they quite liked the captain of the story uh, being changed. Liz Shaw being uh, introduced as well as a reluctant recruit, uh, and the battle of the Yordons at the end is, is a very, it's very familiar of the uh, the cyber battle at the end of the invasion as well, and also again, uh, this is probably the first of the brigadier stories where he has to uh, deal with a general who uh, doesn't really align to what uh, the brigadier's thoughts are, i.e., the general Scobie and the uh, Auton facsimile of him. So, and a brilliant line. Sorry for interrupting. That's right. You know, when Scobie comes in and goes, "Oh, it's good to have a pretty face around oh, here," yeah. and he says quite progressively, "She's not just a pretty face," and you go, "Yeah." Go on, you, Alistair. Pushing the... No, she's here because she's earned it. Actually can do something. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Yeah, so, a dinosaur. So basically, <laughs> all in all, this is the one that starts off Season 7. Uh, the depiction of Unit and the Brigadier is pretty uh, consistent throughout this year. It's only when uh, Uncle Barry takes over that um, it starts to get softened mm. and in some cases gets the uh, piss taken out of it. So uh, I think Spearhead is great. But it's, it was a very hard choice though, because I was umming and ahhing like you going Solurians ambassadors because ambassadors the unit have got lots to do as well in there but yeah i think uh, spearhead is probably the, the 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 more bang for your buck as it were well in ambassadors they they get a walloping they get a walloping oh, they get smashed in they? episode yeah. one yeah. by just these you know well these mercenaries mm. and then later on they get you know hit by the the stun guns as well and it isn't until episode seven when they raid uh 
you know the the hideout that they finally you know give a bit of their own back and poor old poor old Nicholas Courtney cannot throw a punch no that poor man cannot throw a punch no. even if you know if his life depended on it what are your thoughts on spearhead uh rob well, as we were saying earlier in the podcast uh, this is uh, another example of a very hard reset for the series isn't it i mean it's it's moving to color it has an entirely new lead there's nothing remains from from the previous uh you know series so i i think for that it was um other than the fact that the brigadier turns up in this there's there's again like in robot there's that sort of entree for, for new viewers into accepting the doctor uh look i mean it's it's a it's a classic story for for a reason it has you know the imagery is iconic the autons it is a pity i suppose that pertwee spends most of episode one in either a wheelchair or a bed but uh when he's when he's uh when he makes his appearance he's, he's in top form you know almost immediately so much on form yeah exactly i mean it's hard it's hard to believe that the man's not a you know not a dramatic actor i mean he's a great classical actor of course but I think given a straight role, I think Pertwee can handle it really well. Um, look, I, I really enjoyed uh, Spearhead, and I, I was, you know, even though it's been released about half a million times, um, I always find time for it. It's it's a really strong, probably one of the strongest opening uh, stories to a to a new Doctor, really. Other than say Power, easily, yeah. It's uh, it's definitely up there with Power and Eleventh um, Hour for me as one of the best uh intros for a doctor and for me it's like i didn't have it in my top five because it's still a little bit of the proto mm. um uh unit still finding its feet with the numbers like you said with yeah munro's there and i always regret that munro never came back because he was really good really good charismatic actor and um you know in many ways far more charismatic than poor old uh, uh richard franklin um it would have been good to have him a lot more regularly uh, but yeah, it's sort of like it hadn't found that perfect balance of uh, what a good unit story is, where the family's working and they're they're a you know accomplished uh, unit, <laughs> so to speak. Oh yeah, this is a more jagged unit as opposed to the, the the avuncular one towards the end, the whole family thing. Yes, for you know, a bit like me, a bit jagged really. <laughs> a bit more danger to them. Yes, as yeah. opposed to the cuddly uncles and. Oh, oh, oh. and let's go see a bit of theatre. Let's go see the belly dancers. <laughs> belly dance. Let's incorporate that into our training. Number one. Okay, my number one is The Green Death. No snap. No snap? Well, obviously, yeah. we. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, Green Death is, uh, for me, the perfect unit story because it's all, you know, uh, all the unit in their top form. You've got Mike Yates going undercover. You've got, got the Brigadier trying to do the diplomatic thing, working with Global Chemicals. You've got uh, Benton there, you know, ordering his uh, troops around, throwing <laughs> throwing the fungus, going <laughs> to the maggots. Oh, Here, yeah. Maggie, Maggie, maggots, Sergeant Benton. Um, you've got Joe in great form. She's grown up. She's mature. She's found what she's passionate about as opposed to just following the doctor around. The fledgling flies the coop. You see her relationship with um, Clifford really, really um, develop. Um, and you've got some really dramatic moments like you've got mike yates being taken over and having to break that programming which he never fully recovers from hence you know his uh post-traumatic stress disorder mm. you've the the pain the moment the snap moment where his heart breaks when he realized that he he's lost joe um because he's marrying somebody else is beautifully captured a little bit overplayed but we we love that anyway um the doctor and joe's relationship how he no longer has just someone under his wing that will do everything he says 
Um, and, you know, you have moments of them just sitting around and drinking and the, the brigadier having his mind expanded going, it's beef, it must be beef. Nope, it's fungus as well. So they're, they're working effectively as a team, as a family, as uh, a unit. It's got the, the, the greatest farewell between a doctor and a companion ever, you know. No Murray Gold music coming in and no tears going down, I don't want to go, or the doctor... And no schmaltz on it. No, I yeah. love you, doctor's just about to say I love you. No, oh, it's the yeah. doctor walking out while yeah. everyone else is happy. He gets in the car and drives off to the sunset. Yeah. Yeah, has his, has his drink, his tips to the future and keeps all his emotion on the inside, but you can see he wants to say so much more. Um, it's a great story. It's a fun story. It's a it's an important story dealing with stuff Barry Letts loved about, you know, dealing with issues of today. Mm. Um and embracing, you know, the the culture of the seventies, like the you know, the nut hutch and alternative living, the over the top Welsh accents done by even, uh, you know, you've got by Pert- English actors, by English <laughs> actors, and and Pertwee, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. and Pertwee doing his best Scottish and cross dressing as well, which I think he did beautifully. Uh, he could fop me with that bucket any time. So yes, for me that is a that is my number one uh, unit story. Everyone's in top form. Everyone's working well, and yeah, it's it's a great way to send off uh, Joe and the the classic unit uh, yeah. team up. And that's only the, the really the, the regulars, the actual troops and everything like that aren't aren't really around, are they? And that's yeah, and that, gra- yeah. That, and that great making of yeah. done by Mark Gatiss goes, yeah, armed with a crack squad of five soldiers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I quite have a soft spot for the Green Death. I do too. I mm. really enjoyed the Green Death. I like even when they lost one of the actors because he had a tonsillitis or he had some sort of sickness, so Elgin had to drop out, and so they brought in Roy Skelton. I that's think. right. Yeah. Um, to fill up his role in the last two, which is good because that meant that he didn't actually die on screen. So I still think he broke the programming and went off somewhere. Big um, finish, probably. Yeah, and the beautiful moment with um, the boss being destroyed by um, mm. uh, the guy who was under his control when he's got the tear rolling down his face. Oh my gosh, there's some great, beautiful moments in there. And see a computer that takes up an entire room. Ah, oh, the seventies. <laughs> probably powered by the NBN as well. <laughs> now, now, Mark. What about you, uh, my Rob? All I'll do is, is just sum up uh, The Green Death this way. I was at work on a late on a Friday uh, afternoon in the early 2000s, and instead of actually doing work, I was surfing the internet courtesy of the, 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 my employer, the National Australia Bank, and I came across the announcement that The Green Death was coming out on DVD. Wow. <laughs> so uh, I, I printed it out the page, thanks to work once again, and I was going out for drinks with uh, mutual friends, and I just went there and uh, handed the page around, and the look of joy and anticipation on everyone's face at that table uh, just spoke volumes about the sort of uh, regard the, the Green Death is was held in and continues to be held in. I think, as you say, it's a cracking uh, good story. Um, the, uh, the Some of the effects, are, I mean, especially the fly, I quite like the fly flying around, that's quite well done. But look, I mean, at the end of the day, it it, uh, it, it covers off on two things. You can, you can look at the... Uh, Sort of the adventure of it, the, the sort of the conspiracy, the, the the computer, but there's also the environmental factors there that also can engage you on a different level. And of course, as you said before, Pertwee saying farewell to Joe. There's no uh, heavenly chorus in the background saying goodbye. <laughs> it's just you know, it's just a look. And uh, no oud chorus singing. No, and or oh, he slips into the night. So it's great. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It's a great. It's a great story. So my number one. Uh, thanks for asking, guys. It's. <laughs> Terror of the Zygons. Oh. So if uh, Mind of Evil is the last gasp of season seven, 
then this is the last gasp for Yuna as we knew it. The next two appearances in uh, the Android Invasion and Seeds of Doom, uh, let's be honest, the Brigadier's been replaced by a couple of uh, non-entities, so they don't really resonate <laughs> at all in terms of a, a unit uh, command structure. Uh, obviously, they're called in to investigate the destruction of all rigs on the Scottish coast, um, and the, the unit soldiers who uh, take over the, uh, the village... Uh, <laughs> Don't uh, don't really endear themselves to the locals, mainly because they're English and they're obviously taking over the Scottish again. So <laughs> there's probably a lot of uh, resentment. It's great to see the, the fourth Doctor. You mentioned Robot before, where the fourth Doctor's all over the place. This is where his character is pretty there. It's refreshing for me to see him working uh, under duress with the unit, uh, and obviously the interactions between uh, him and the Brigadier swing between uh, endearment and uh, downright uh, bad mood. John Levine, during the production of the story, kept saying to Nick, there's no more Pertwee anymore, Katie's gone. So it would have been uh, quite off-putting for, for Courtney and, and Levine to be working with these uh, new interlopers, I think. But especially when it was supposed to be the same setup. Part 4, where Brodron is killing the unit's guard, is pretty frightening. Uh, Camfield, again, ratchets up the, uh, the tension when they're trying mm. to locate the, the Scarrison homing device. Is it a perfect sending-off party for unit? Probably not. I think, actually, if the seeds are doom, uh, which I recently rewatched uh, thanks to the uh, Deadly Dumb podcast episode a few weeks ago, if that had unit in it uh, much more um, heavily, obviously had uh, Lethbridge-Stewart and also Benson in there, can you imagine in, in part five where Henderson's getting killed? That could have been Benton. So you, you would have had a, a situation where Benton, the Brigadier's actually going, obviously going through grief of Benton's death and then trying to resolve the, the issue with the crinoid as mm. well in terms of the, the getting the plane strikes and things like that. That would have been fantastic to see, but of course, you know, it wouldn't have happened back then, simpler times. I think Steve's of Doom would have been the ultimate send-off for him because, hey, it's a, it's a bloody good story. And just, yeah, it would have been, uh, would have been great. However, uh, the Zygons... To me, are much better realised uh, in in this story than the the, the Zygon two part and Day of the Doctors. The more the more Simpson esque, yeah. In in the new series, I think they don't they don't look the same. I I, I think this is probably for me the, the top unit story for me. What about you, Rob? What do you think? Oh, I enjoyed that Terror of the Zygons. I think it's full of atmosphere and um and adventure, and I especially like you know there's that scene where uh, I think it's uh, a Zygon masquerading as Harry is uh, menacing Sarah. Oh yeah, the, pitch, the pitchfork. I mean, it's that's actually quite terrifying when you when you think about it. Um, you know, you've got a, a fam a fan favorite or a you know kid friendly companion about to be uh, punctured by, <laughs> by. What am I laughing for? By a pitchfork. It, it, it is. It is. It, you look at it and you sort of wince at the at the prospect of the injuries that can be inflicted. Uh, the reason I didn't pick Terror, I just think um, it's it just seems slightly lacking in some departments. I would have liked more involvement, I suppose, with the Brigadier or you know or unit itself. But look, it's it's a perfectly valid choice. I, I you know I can't go against what Mark said. Again, for me, I see a solid unit story as having the whole family there. It does you know, seem lacking that we don't have um, Mike Gates there, but and it is the last regular appearance of uh ian Marta as um harry sullivan who i adored I, I loved tom going off to fly with uh with harry and and sarah and it's it's a real shame that he doesn't didn't stick around because i think there were some great moments with the three of them together and it's a shame that it was still limited by its you know 1970s era where they went well we can't have a young male companion we've got a young doctor who can just do all the action stuff together when you could see the relationship between the two of them was quite beautiful. Um, yes. But it's a solid story. It's a classic story. The Zygons, be, you know, 
no Doctor Who monster made such an impact with just one appearance than the Zygons and the fact that they've been brought back for the 50th anniversary because of that one appearance is just a credit to their you know the what they are as a creation and that's it's such a good story it's a fun story it's a menacing story John Woodnut is incredible as always as you know as both the Zygon and the uh the Scottish lad it's a classic not a complete unit classic for me but Mm. um yeah it's up there in like top 10 most influential and and you know best doctor who stories of all time definitely interesting that uh, none of us chose the the usuals which would have been the demons always gets touted as the ultimate unit story but none of us chose it. i think i mentioned in my in our top five overrated cast i think it's overrated why didn't we go for it if it features unit i think personally there are better stories that feature yeah me too it took me a long time to actually see all the demons and it was, a lot, I guess, because there was so much hype about it, I was kind of a little let down. But yeah, there's some good moments. But again, it's a case of, I think, the the, the cast had more of a good time on it yeah. than, than we actually watched it. Yeah. So, but yeah, there's some good elements to it. And it's quite influential. And I do like that use of, you know, mixing science and magic, which is always a good element uh, when it's brought into Doctor Who. But yeah, I think there's just better stories out there. <laughs> Got mail. Okay, so that was our uh, top five choices. So let's now go to the top five choices of our listeners. Hey! Okay, this first email is Mr. Dave Kitchen. He is here as always. Thank you for your continued support of 42 to Doomsday, Mr. Kitchen. Dear two months of Doomsday team, very happy to suggest my own personal top five unit stories. Whilst I was very tempted to just say season seven plus dinosaurs, (laughs) I thought harder about it. Well done. And came up with five stories that I think are both good stories and good units. Unit stories, especially in transmission order. Awesome. Uh-huh. Number one, invasion. First and one of the best units shown as effective, global, and capable. Two, Silurians. Not only the best Doctor Who story of all time, but one where unit plays an active part in saving the world, not just supporting the Doctor whilst he does. Three, Ambassadors of Death. Whilst the Doctor is off in space, uh, unit cracks the conspiracy in this underrated and exciting adventure. Here, here. Four, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, as well as a brilliant story. We get to see how well-developed each of the unit regulars are by this stage. And five, Battlefield. Ah. Once again, unit are shown as modern, global, and effective, and an important part of this adventure. And progressive. Well, <laughs> yes, thank you. And being quite progressive yourself, mm. David Kitchen. Excellent work there. Thank you, Dave. I'm just reading that email, making sure that... No hidden messages like what happened in that DWM a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, I'm just checking it now. 40 Doomsday is the best podcast. Yep, no worries. Yep, that's that, all, that all, yep, that's all fine. seems good. Yeah. Yep, that's all good. Thanks, Dave. Rob, have you got uh, a missive over there? Yes, I do. I've got a missive here from one JR Southall uh, from the Blue Box podcast and, of course, Starburst magazine. Hello, JR. Uh, JR uh, wrote to us his uh, top five stories featuring Unit, mm-hmm. uh, Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Autons, The Demons. Invasion of the Dinosaurs and Terror of the Zygons. However, his top five unit stories themselves, uh, The Invasion, Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Autons, The Green Death, and Invasion of the Dinosaurs. So JR is making a, uh, an explicit difference uh, there between uh, stories that feature unit and stories that are just top unit stories. What do we think of JR's choices, boys? That's a pretty good combination. And he's got some that you know blend together, so some feature unit, but some are also oh. unit stories. 
It's interesting that JR, who is a, uh, a vocal supporter, and fair enough, of, uh, of uh, the new series, and especially Moffat's take, uh, hasn't found any, any new series stories that feature the unit. All classic stuff right there. Mm. Okay, fair enough. We had some uh, posts on our uh, Twitter. So we'll go off uh, with this one. Stephen from the New To Who podcast uh, says, The Invasion, Spearhead from Space, Terror of the Ordons, The Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and Terror of the Zygons. Uh, Metabilis 2 says the invasion, uh, Sirius, Silurians, uh, Brig versus the Doctor, Mind of Evil, UN role, uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, Yates Betrayal, Terror of the Zygons, Last Hurrah, uh, Endless Mike says Spearhead, Ambassadors, Inferno, Claws of Axos, and Battlefield. Oh, oh. I went back and said to him, Battlefield, interesting choice, and uh, he wrote back and said, I enjoy the look ahead at the future of UNIT. Bambera is cool and doesn't get overshadowed by the Brig. And the Brig uh, still gets to have an important influence on the story. Oh, shame. Oh, shame. (laughs) Jed Sweeney said, The invasion, with Douglas Canfield in charge, it was always going to be done properly. Two, Spearhead from Space, unit still behaving plausibly. Three, Inferno, with alt unit. Four, Claws of Axos, trippy, silly, and a giant floppy willy. (laughs) If you like them floppy, you're doing it the wrong way. (laughs) Five, Mind of Evil. Yes, let's use a global military force who usually, when it suits the plotline, have minimal personnel to transport a seemingly dangerous nerve gas missile. What could possibly go wrong? Everything. Uh, Steve Hearn says, uh, Terror the Zygons, Battlefield, Zygon Invasion. Hey, we've got a modern story there. Uh, The Demons and the Web of Fear. That's Proto Proto. Yeah, that's Proto Proto Proto. proto, proto. Yeah, it's not canon yet. No, <laughs> that's a mini canon. It's not uh, sure style yet. Bernard Duff, way out. He's on a frolic here. Uh, one downtime. <laughs> oh, Two. Jesus. <laughs> Probe. I'm not quite sure which probe story he's referring to, but anyway. Maybe it's not a story. <laughs> Three, uh, that classic wartime. Oh, oh God. Four, the Sarah Jane Adventure one with Nick Courtney. Oh, yeah. The wedding. And five, yeah. the fungus from the 1984 <laughs> Doctor Who annual. I doff my lid to you, Bernard. Oh, my God. I reckon it's been read out at that uh, new CD coming out at Christmas with the reading all those stories <laughs> on the Doctor Who annuals. We've got Theta Sigma's Doctor Who podcast. For me, it would have to be one, The Invasion. Two, the invasion of the dinosaurs. Three, Planet of the Spiders, because it deals with Mike Yates' recovery. Four, Spearhead from Space. And five, ooh, the Stolen Earth slash Journey's End. Why? We were all asking why. Uh, <laughs> the invasion was, for me, the real introduction to Unit now that it's been fully formed. Invasion of the Dinosaurs has the whole Mike Yates goes rogue story, which is a different take on one of the Unit regulars and, has, and as previously mentioned, Planet of the Spiders deals with his recovery. While Spearhead from Space, for me, has the brig at the best we ever see him, and Stolen Earth's Journey's End is the best representation of Unit in New Who to date. And then he, uh, Bernard <laughs> Duff, uh, goes, good luck with number five. <laughs> so uh, just a bit of byplay there from our listeners. So why haven't we, apart from you, uh, other Rob, uh, selected any stories from the new series that feature Unit? I think they're generic and they lack uh, they lack impact and I don't think that they've managed to find an iconic lead character to lead unit. No disrespect to Gemma Redgrave. Or a mother. Red Vanessa. I think you've hit me on the head there. Really, we've we've grown up, a lot of these stories, we watched them multiple times, you know, we're getting very familiar with them, where the new series ones, as you said, they're very nondescript characters, especially in the RTD, it was a bit like Captain Munro one week and Captain Turner the next week. Yeah. Yes, they tried to put that anchor with uh, Kate Lethbridge-Stewart, and Osgood, but to me, the, the, the characters don't particularly resonate 
for me. I mean, look, a lot of people like him. I mean, uh, people dress up as uh, Osgood at conventions and things like that, and good on him. And it's kind of like the it's you know the fan aerobarus thing happening. You know, Osgood is the perfect representation of a Doctor Who fan within the show, and now Doctor Who fans are cosplaying as the Doctor Who fan cosplaying the Doctor in the show. It's it's it's, it's meta very meta. Upon meta upon yeah. Meta. So really, why isn't anybody dressing up as a whiz kid from Greatest Show in the Galaxy? Because he was supposed to be a Doctor Who fan allegedly, wasn't he? So yes, get on yes, your bikes, sir. Yeah, they're too busy watching, um, you know, the Diary of Adrian Adrian Mole. I actually like that show. Yeah, yeah. My mum used to think I looked like Adrian Mole. Yeah, I love the uh, yeah, I love Kate's role within the modern series, and uh, Osgood's inclusion was very good. So it's going to be interesting to see where they go with Chibnall, whether he uh, continues to have that connection with Unit, or whether he finds a new way of doing it, whether he brings back his uh, you know, his Indian Earth uh, Defense Force from. uh, you know, planet uh, uh, dinosaurs on a spaceship. That was kind of cool. Um, but we'll see how we go. I reckon he's just going to throw everything out. He's not going to reference the past for the first couple of years at least. No, of course, he's going to have to play yeah. it safe. I think he's learning well. But yeah, I, I think we're going to see a lot from a lot of his era from what he did with his last two stories, which were Power of Three and uh, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. A lot of that high energy adventure uh, comedy, but then, you know, just a, a flip to darkness when it needs it is going to be a good indication of where he's going to go with his first year, especially. Mm-hmm. All I can say about Mr. Chibnall is he better be careful he doesn't misstep because people will be more than willing to fire up that, epi- that episode of Junior Points of View. Absolutely. I mean, we did. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody else did as well, yes. What does it say? History doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Mm. <laughs> the discordant clang. Before we go, Rob, you got anything you want to plug? I just want to say it has been an absolute honour working with you guys and uh, you inviting me back time and time again. It's going to be uh, sad to see you off the internet landscape uh, as regularly as you have been. Hopefully you come back every once in a while just to share your opinion. It's an absolute joy talking with you guys about who old and new, sharing your thoughts and opinions. And I have much respect for the both of you within the uh, Who community and in the community of humanity. So oh, bless you. Thank you very much. It's a shame to see you go, but I know you're, you're going out on a high, and that's all we can ask for. Uh, remember, I sent you that link and said, this is what I've done. I didn't hear anything for six weeks. <laughs> so I thought, gee, it's gone down well. Uh, so yes, but uh, look, every time we've uh, had a segment, we want to get you on board. You've always been here and been an active supporter. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, if we do um, decide to get the band back together, you know you are our Pete Best. I am so happy to be the Pete Best to you <laughs> Beatles guys rocking around Germany <laughs> in the basements with all those German rocking hipsters and strippers and for my part Rob I'd just like to thank you for coming on for making the time to come and speak with us to be part of this little crazy podcast uh, it's it's actually a real pleasure to have someone as talented and as professional as yourself uh, unlike ourselves as <laughs> uh, just take the time as tonight's recording has proven many times just to take the time to to lend your uh, your uh, your undoubted skills and knowledge and insight and enthusiasm for the show and positivity it positivity it's an antidote to our occasional uh, <laughs> bitterness <laughs> so look i you know for me and i'm sure for mark i, I wish you all the best in, in in your future career and definitely if we come back uh, 
at some later date. We'll definitely have you on because it's been a pleasure each and every time. Have you got a podcast you want to promote? Yeah, check out uh, uh, Nerd Out. We're on iTunes and all the other formats. It's uh, myself, Sandra Felcher from uh, Triple J and Jen Spears, who I did uh, Hard Awakens with a couple of years ago. We uh, get all together and talk about all things nerd. We talk about movies, TV, online, uh, comic books, uh, uh, traditional literature um, in a fantasy nerdy type of way and even uh, games we go into the whole game side of things as well so I've been doing that for about a year now with Sandro and we've come back after my tour we've brought uh, Jen Spears into the to the mix to mix things up a bit and we've done uh, uh, two episodes so far or three episodes so far and we're about to get back into the recording studio hopefully soon to record our thoughts on uh, what's been going on in the world of nerd in the last two weeks did you hear that rock recording studio? Here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Right. Yeah. Oh, here we go. They're all moving up in the world now, Rob. Me and you and a Skype line. And it's gone. Have, <laughs> yeah, we get canapes oh. and champagne and the ice cream is covered in gold flakes. It's I got you good. some chocolate ice cream tonight. <laughs> I know. It was good ice cream as well. Yeah. <laughs> and on that ice cream bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, all the best, gentlemen, and uh, enjoy your last couple of recordings, and uh, and as you sail off into freedom, well-deserved obscurity. Well deserved, <laughs> very much so. So to round things off, I've been Mark. I've been Rob, and I am also the other Rob. Keep, Keep punching. You've just listened to another episode of 42 to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at 42 to Doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash 42 to Doomsday. If brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at 42 to Doomsday. Please check out our blog, 42 to Doomsday.wordpress.com, where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.